guys, if you've got your Bibles, let's grab them open and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. The final one, the final countdown. I don't know, I feel like I should feel emotional or something. So I sort of do and I don't, I don't know. It's sort of like, yep, the next one, the end. I've sort of got my head in Matthew, but I think, you know, as I, you know, as I read through Ephesians again, I just thought, oh man, what a great book this has been for us, you know, as a church plant to begin. We've seen so many wonderful, wonderful things. Um, and as we turn the final corner and round out this letter, um, it made me look back through each chapter. And I just saw like in chapter one, remember how we heard of all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, all our salvation. And then we heard that we, you know, have this power that is um, undestroyable, that, you know, goes before us, that Paul was praying for the Ephesians. In chapter two, we saw our story, that we were dead and cast far off from God. But in Jesus, we've been brought near. The hostility is broken. The division is broken. The death is broken and we're made alive. In chapter three, we saw how the mystery of the gospel has been revealed that God is uniting all things together in Christ, Jew and Gentile and all peoples through the power and preaching of the gospel. And that he takes all those people and then displays them to the heavenly realms and says, look what I can do. Uh, And that's what happens when we gather as a church, this marvelous display of God's glory, bringing different and weird people together all over the world. Then in chapter 4, we saw how what was planned in eternity, God's sovereign, eternal plan to save sinners and to make a people for himself is to be displayed in community, that it actually is to look like something. And so we were urged to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, to be unified as a body, as a church, not these two separate, you know, people within or, you know, little races within the church, but one church, one body, one baptism, one Lord Jesus Christ. The pastors are given as gifts to build and stir up the church, to use their gifts to build up the body, that every single member of our church is necessary and valuable. And then we saw that we're to cast off the old man the old woman, so to speak, and put on the new self to live as Christ would live, to be new creatures in him and to change almost every part of our life, our speech, our thoughts, our sexuality that extends into the household, how we operate as husbands, dearly loving and leading our wives, as wives joyfully respecting and submitting to husbands, children honouring and obeying their parents for the blessing that comes with it. Fathers teaching and disciplining their children with the love and joy of Jesus Christ. Even slaves and owners, we saw the equality and the unity that they have in Christ. And then we saw that we are in this spiritual battle, that this is not easy. Although this is a glorious vision in Ephesians of our salvation and what it looks like in the church, this ain't easy because we have an enemy who's taken shots, shooting arrows and try to bring us down. And we saw that this enemy, the only way to defeat him is to stand, to stand by wearing the armor of God and by praying. And so each one of us is called to be warriors in this battle, to be alert in prayer and to work hard by God's grace to prevent ourselves and our friends and our family and our church being corrupted and deceived by the evil one. 
And so now as we, as we see these six chapters come to a close, we have the final words of Paul. I mean, that's the title for this message, Final Words. And so let us read together the last words that Paul penned um, for us to read in this series. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. There's something special about letters, isn't there? Like there's something like when you receive a letter rather than a text or an email or a WhatsApp or a, I don't know, whatever else there is these days, a TikTok. Oh, TikToks are pretty special. I would, you know, a physical letter and a TikTok, they're up there. But I think a physical letter goes the next level. Uh, You could probably remember, (laughs) count how many times um, you've actually received a physical letter. We'll just take that off the screen for the moment, Jordan. Um, I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, One of my most special physical letters was from my beautiful bride, Maddie. Um, We were dating and at the age of 18, once we finished um, high school, both of us went on short-term mission trips. I went to Papua New Guinea, into the highlands, the southern highlands of Papua New Guinea, and she went into Cambodia to an orphanage there. And we both wrote each other letters and gave them to each other before we went. And when I was in Papua New Guinea, all alone in the highlands, terribly sick with, you know, diarrhea and gastro, which probably you didn't need to know because I think I ate some bad pig that was cooked underground and it was not good. I was sick the whole time and I was lying on bed, just feeling terrible. And then I would pull out this little letter from Maddie, you know, with her beautiful, she actually sprayed her perfume on it, which was really nice. And so it smelt like Maddie. And then I could hold the page and I could see her handwriting and all her words. And I would just lay there and read it and warm my little heart um, as I then ran to the pit toilet and then came back and pulled out, smelled the perfume, smelled a lot better than the pit toilet. Um, so the letters, you know, are, are very, it was a very special thing. It actually had this powerful effect. Uh, and I'm sure you can think of times where you've got a beautiful letter from someone and there's something just so intentional and earthy about it. And we can't forget that as we come to the book of Ephesians, it wasn't a book, it's a letter. And it wasn't a letter that came in this beautifully leather bound, you know, with gold leaf pages, typeface, you know, serif and all that. It came on a piece of papyrus or some kind of ancient letter writing. And it was delivered by a courier, someone that had to come and deliver it to the Ephesian people and actually read it to them. You see, this letter to the Ephesians is a personal letter from the Apostle Paul. It's not a a general Facebook post that they happen to pull out and like, oh, wow, this is cool. Oh, it's addressed to us. That's amazing. It was written to them 
delivered to them, written by Paul's hand, or at least a scribe. And um, here's an early version um, from um, one of the earliest kind of full manuscripts of the New Testament we have. Uh, this is what it looked like in, in 150 to 200 AD. That's sort of what a letter looked like at that time. Um, and that, that's actually Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, I believe. So you can kind of get a sense of, you know, it's written in Greek. It's actually all capital letters. They held this piece of paper. I don't know if it smelt like Paul. I don't know what Paul smelt like, but it's real. It's a flesh document. And the same words that were written at the beginning of the letter about the glory of our eternal salvation, all these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, these same words at the end of the letter are equally as inspired by the Holy Spirit. The words about, you know, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus and the description is the same as these words at the end about, I'm sending you Tychicus and he will tell you everything you need to know. The Holy Spirit inspired both sets of words. And so as we come to these final letters in the letter, the final words in this letter, we've got to remember that these are Holy Scripture too. Not to be passed over too quickly, not to be underestimated for their value. And as we read it, we'll actually see some beautiful and surprising things in it. Because when you come to the end of a letter, you often save up and summarize some of the most important things you want to say. And that's what we see here this morning. So this message is entitled Final Words. And just two simple points. I don't really have a main point sort of driving home. Just two points. Number one, final instructions. And number two, final blessing. Point number one, the final instructions. Let's read those verses again that are, you know, I used to skip over these all the time until I heard CJ Mahaney preach um, on the end of 1 Peter. And he really slowed down and took us through the, the final postscript and made me think, wow, there's actually so much more here than I ever imagined. We get this beautiful insight into the life of the early church. We get to see that it wasn't just, you know, this publishing house like Crossway, just putting stuff out all the time. It was very personal and relational. So let's read verses 21 and 22 again. So that you, may also, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you. For this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. What we see here is a brief but beautiful description of the rich partnership in the gospel the New Testament churches shared. I don't know if it's true for you, but for me, I often have this picture of solo Paul, you know, Paul the preacher, Paul the evangelist, Paul the apostle, Paul the healer, Paul the one coming in and saving the day and spreading the gospel. But that's actually a false image. The apostle Paul was not a solo player. He was a part of a ministry team. Paul always had people with him, men and women, ministering with him, doing jobs with him, being sent out on special assignments. And we see that here. You see, the Apostle Paul is likely in prison in Rome. 
he can't get to the Ephesians. He can't deliver the letter himself. And so he, at various times in his ministry, employs other men and women to do incredibly special and authoritative tasks on his behalf. And here is one such example with Mr. Tychicus. You see, Tychicus was a part of the small band of seven men who traveled with Paul all the way from Macedonia through different churches, all the way back down into Jerusalem. And when Paul got to Jerusalem, there he went into the temple. And just by being in the temple and everyone seeing who he was, it caused a massive uproar. Paul was arrested and beaten and then eventually appealed to Caesar that he could go back to Rome and preach the gospel there in Rome. And so Paul was imprisoned and taken all the way back to Rome. And Tychicus, this beloved and faithful brother we read about here, was part of that journey. You see, Tychicus accompanied Paul on the ships, at the ports, in the cities, in the arrest. He even was shipwrecked, most likely, with Paul on his journey there. And so Tychicus and Paul aren't just like, you know, master-slave relationship. This is a dear and faithful partner in the gospel. These guys are soul brothers. They have likely been beaten together, you know, been cursed together, experienced animosity together. They've preached the gospel together, prayed with people together, potentially seen people who are lame, walking, blind, seeing, dead, even being raised again. That's who Tychicus is. To us, it's just a name on a page, but to Paul, how does Paul describe him? Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. You see, Tychicus is entrusted with this important task to take this letter and the letter to the Colossians and the letter of Philemon and deliver them to these churches. He's got this job to be Paul's representative, to take Holy Scripture and deliver it. And he has been described in these most affectionate terms, beloved brother, faithful minister. You see, sometimes we have this image of Paul that, you know, maybe he can be a bit harsh or a bit, you know, demeaning or, you know, you know, some people hate him because he seems so negative on women and things like that. But the real Paul, if you study all of his letters and all of his commendations and the way he talks about people, the real Paul is gracious and encouraging and affirming. He's lavish with his encouragement and the way he builds people up. And the real Paul is deeply pastoral. You see, not only is Tychicus delivering this letter to the Ephesians, but look at the task that Paul has given him. He's told him to do two things. I've sent him, or verse 22 says, I have sent him for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus, this beloved and faithful minister, now has a job. He's to go back to the Ephesians and give them the full lowdown on how Paul is doing. You see, the Ephesians love Paul, and Paul loves the Ephesians. This is a letter born out of friendship and partnership. They probably likely see Paul as their beloved pastor, their leader, and he's, they know he's in prison, they know he's far off, they know he's in chains, and they're likely anxious for him. It'll be like if, you know, for, for many of us, if Pastor Dave or something was 
on a mission trip somewhere else in another country and he got arrested. We'd be like, what? Dave, you know, Dave's arrested in chains and we can't get to him. He can't get to us. How's he doing? We want a full update on what's going on. That's the type of relationship Paul had with people because he was full of the spirit and the spirit is a spirit of love. And so the Ephesian church had an experience of his love and they wanted to know how he was and he wanted to know how they were. And so he sends Tychicus to give a full download, to let them know that the gospel is not being hampered, that God's mission has not stopped just because he's in chains. And Tychicus is going to tell them some amazing, amazing things. But then secondarily in that verse, we learn that Tychicus has this job to encourage their hearts. You see, the Apostle Paul is a great pastor. He knows that they're likely to be discouraged, that absent from his leadership, absent from his pastoral care, and in the presence of such foes and spiritual warfare and their own sin, they need encouragement. You know, we're no different to these Ephesians. You and I, every week, we need encouragement. And so he sends Tychicus to encourage their hearts, to give them faith again to enlighten their eyes and to see the the majesty and glory of the gospel. It's likely that Tychicus would read the letter to them and potentially even explain various parts of it, apply various parts of it, preach potentially various parts of it to their souls. When they ask questions, how does this work? How am I going to do this? Tychicus is there to encourage them. And so in all this kind of little picture that I've painted here, I think we see a beautiful insight into the first century church. This beautiful relational, pastoral, personal dynamic that sometimes we can lose when we get caught up in the grand and lofty doctrines or the hard work of practical application in changing our lives. These are real people who had real struggles, who had real problems, who had real doubts, who had real enemies, who had real sins, and who really needed love, care, and protection, just like you and I. And so God, in his grace, sends a real letter with a real person to care for them in it. We don't have solo Paul sending out telegrams. We have pastoral Paul, part of a team, pastoring his people from afar. And Clinton Arnold, I think, helps us to summarize what's, what's one of the main things we learn just in these two little verses that it, it looks like it's not really applicable to us. So what can we learn? Well, I think Clinton Arnold says it best. We learn this. Ministry is relational and can be done effectively only through a team approach. Ministry is relational and can be done effectively only through a team approach. You see, ministry is not a machine. It's not a business enterprise. It's not a production factory. The the church is a team. It's a family. It's a body, all united together. We're not just cogs in a factory line, but souls and people woven together as a family. So the best ministries that we may be a part of, the best churches, they may be efficient, they may be effective, but their core 
they must be relational. Because the core of the gospel is to bring us into relationship with God and the relationship to other people. That's one of the core effects of the gospel. And so we see here that ministry is a team. And our church is to be a part of this relational dynamic. In fact, it's one of the things I love most about our church. It's one of the things I'm most proud about our church when people come and visit is how relational we are, is how much of a team dynamic we have in the way that all of you guys love and serve one another. That when new people come, when, when people visit, when people join, there's this instant sense of you're in, you're family, we love you. Now, we, always, we often don't get it right perfectly, but there's this heart and this desire that we're not just producing something every Sunday. We're a family. We're a team. And every member of the team counts, no matter what role you play, whether you're the preacher, praying, you're in PA, on projector, you're on coffee or kids or set up or welcome, or you're just there as a member being an encourager, every person has a part to play every week, in fact, every day of the week. Because ministry is not solo, it's a team approach. I don't know what are, what are some of the best teams that you've been a part of in your life. Um, not a sporting team, but a work team. For me, when I worked at Barker College, my boss there, Jeff Ware, is a brilliant leader. And one of his mentalities for choosing and creating his staff team was to always choose different types of people to himself. He had a particular style of leadership and thinking and so he would intentionally hire people that were different and complementary and even that would rub against his style so that we had a more dynamic and um, complementary team. And as a result we were able to get so many more things done and you know help so many different types of people because we all weren't clones of ourselves. And that's one of the beautiful things about the way God has built the church. You see, Paul was a Jew and Tychicus was likely a Greek. And yet now, through God's grace, they're bound together in ministry. And so a Greek man, and Tychicus was actually likely an Ephesian, is going back to Ephesus to take these marvelous truths that we've heard and declare them again to the Ephesian people. Diversity within the church is the way that God strengthens it. That's what we learn in Ephesians chapter 4 in verses 11 through 16. That he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, friends, as we go back to serving week by week by week in person, in physical services, let us remember that we all have a part to play, we're all part of the team, and that this team is not just getting stuff done, it's relational. And so we've got to keep those two tensions in balance. We've got to get the job done, we all have a part, but we do it relationally, as family, loving one another, building one another up. And so when you're on coffee, you're not just making a coffee, you're also thinking about how you can pray for people and talk to people. You know, when you're serving and projector or any sphere of the church, you're always thinking relationally and ministerially. How can I serve? What can I do? And who can I love? Because ministry is a team and ministry is relational. 
And we don't just see this relational dynamic in the local church, but we see it in the interdependence between churches, uh, which is one of the beautiful things about having Josh on this morning is that we actually have a unity and a team across the world into Louisville, Kentucky, and then again across the world into Africa. We're going to have this triangulated team where we are actually all interdependent on one another, relationally, helping each other out. And this is why I love Sovereign Grace Churches, is that not only does each church have a team and family approach, but the whole movement is a team and family approach. We are technically a denomination, but we like to say we're a family of churches. And we are a real family. We argue like a family. We love like a family. (laughs) You know, we embrace like a family. We cry like a family. There's a real genuine family element to the way Sovereign Grace Churches operates. And it's such a joy that we get to be a part of it. And I want each one of us as a member of a Sovereign Grace Church to slowly, as you learn more about our movement of churches and family of churches, is to feel that interdependence and love. Perhaps you've already felt it as you've seen the people come on to Guess Who's Coming to Church and you've heard Eric Tabetsky or Mark Prater or Jeff Perswell or Josh or Kyle. You get this knowledge that we're all partners in the gospel together, that we're friends together. The way we build our churches is we're missionally on the same team. Financially, we're on the same team, giving money to one another. Our church was planted out of the pockets of Sovereign Grace USA and Sovereign Grace Warunga. Skillfully, we're partnered together. We share resources like songs and training and leadership and church structure. And then obviously, uh, relationally, we're together. We're mates. You know, we're friends. And we want the members of our churches as much as it can be to be friends with one another. That's why I was so sad that we had to cancel our retreat with Sovereign Grace Church Warunga because it was going to be a great opportunity to demonstrate this team and relational dynamic. The same dynamic that was present in the New Testament church is present in our church and in our family of churches. This is something to thank the Lord for because this is not something that every church enjoys. In fact, many of my friends are a part of denominations and they hate their denomination, which doesn't make sense to me. Like, Why be in it if you hate it? But I'm taking it as a gift that we get this and that you all get to be part of this too. So we have this relational and team dynamic locally. We have it interdependence in the extra local, but we also have it personally as well. Each one of us needs teammates in the battle, in the race. Each one of us can't get along in the Christian life without other people helping us. Paul was in jail in Rome, but he had men around him there to help him and serve him and care for him and do tasks with him and for him. And that's why we do life groups. That's why we do growth groups, because we need people along in the journey with us. And that's why we try and do mission together. And as a church, as we go forward and we start to do walk up again and invite people to Christianity Explored, it can be so hard to do it on your own. But just like we see with the Apostle Paul, you don't have to do it on your own. In fact, Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. He sent them out as groups because you can't do it on your own. It's so much easier to do mission as a team with other people's strengths and weaknesses all working together. It's one of being the hardest things about this time of isolation is it sort of put a real hamper on that sense of unity and team. 
But as we start to come out of it, and God willing, we have no second wave, let us lean in again and open up our hearts, open up our lives, open up our schedule and our calendar, open up our time to operate as a team, as a church, and to operate as a family, a relational dynamic as a church. Just like we saw with Paul and Tychicus in the New Testament churches, we get to experience that now within our church, within our family of churches, and within our own lives personally on a mission. So that's the first thing that I I think Paul wants us to see, even by way of implicit teaching, in these final instructions, that we are a team built on a relational dynamic. I'm going to send Tychicus. (laughs) I love him. He's epic. He's faithful. He's going to tell you all about me. And I can't wait to hear all about you. That's, you know, it's inspired scripture and it inspires us to live in this way. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, press on in this and keep going, even when it feels tough and tiring and you feel daunted about all the work it's going to take in the next couple of months to relaunch our church. Let's keep going and let's bear our burdens together. So that's point number one, final instructions. And just to end briefly, I'm going to finish on his last two verses here. Point number two, final blessing. You see, at the end, it was customary in most letters in this time to kind of give a benediction or to invocate God or invocate a blessing upon the people, to call upon God to make good wishes and well wishes happen to the people that he loved. And so that's what we have here. This is Paul's summarizing thing that he just wants God to do for them. He's already prayed for them a couple of times through the letter, but now this is his final prayer. Kent Hughes says it like this. There is nothing more revealing about us than what we wish for those we love the most. There is nothing more revealing about us than what we wish for those we love the most. In these final words, we see what Paul wishes for those he loves. What do you wish most for your friends and family that you love the most? What's at the depths of your prayer cry for people? Well, whatever that is reveals a lot about you. Whether it be circumstantial or financial or physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, whatever you wish most for those that you love reveals something about what you value and treasure and desire earnestly for other people. So what did Paul wish for most for these Ephesian Christians? Well, let's read verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you, be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You see here, Paul ends where he began. At the start of the letter, he it's not just a throwaway line. He said, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he ends with peace, love, and grace. This is what he wants for the people. 
What greater gifts could they have than peace, love, and grace? And these things, they just sound like, they could just sound like words. Oh yeah, I know those words, peace, love, and grace. And it can sound like, you know, what about all the, the circumstances happening in my life? What about, you know, the heartbreak and heartache I'm feeling? What about the, the, the crushing pain of failed expectations? Where does peace, love, and grace fit into that? What about the difficulty it is to just be a Christian every day and not give up? What about the temptations we feel to just give into sin when it's right there and looks so promising? But Paul knows all these fears. Paul's a pastor. Paul's a Christian himself. But he knows that above all these circumstantial things that could change, what we need most fundamentally is these spiritual blessings that God gives us. Because when we have peace, love, and grace, and when we exhibit them, it can change any circumstance that we're in. And so let me just briefly walk through these three things, peace, love, and grace, to finish our time in Ephesians. Firstly, he prays for peace, that they would have peace with God and peace with their brothers and sisters. Peace with God and peace with each other. And oh, how we need this in this present circumstance of disunity and disharmony across the world. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2 again and remind ourselves of the peace we have with God and the peace we have with each other. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. What greater need do we have, brothers and sisters, than to have peace with God, to have the wrath of Almighty God abated, that we will not stand under His judgment, that we will not be forever tormented for our gross and atrocious sins, that we can have peace, peace, peace with God. And not only peace with God, but peace with one another. That rather than fighting and hating and racism and judgmentalism and prejudice and you know, oh, I'm, I'm better than you and you're not as good as me. We can actually have not just equality, but unity. Um, C.J. Mahaney said that in his sermon on this passage, that, that one of the great benefits of the gospel is we're not just equal, 
but we're unified. Men and women of all races and cultures aren't just equal before God. We are one. We are one man, one woman together, one body. The solution to the hostility and prejudice in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the only thing that unifies at the soul level people who are vilified and opposed to one another. System, systemic government change won't fix it because you can't change hearts. But when you have peace with God, you can give peace to fellow brothers and sisters. And by that, we can create peace in little local churches all around the world. So brothers and sisters, I join with Paul in praying for you and I. Peace be to the brothers and the sisters through our Lord Jesus Christ. Makes me think and for all of us to just wonder, are you at peace with God this morning? Is there any fear you have of meeting him face to face? Do you worry that he will bring up some past sin? Do you worry that maybe he actually has animosity towards you? The reality is, is that if you trust in Jesus, you have peace with him and that there is no wrath remaining for you. You are free and free indeed. Rest in his peace and make peace. Secondly, he prays that they would be full of love. Look again at the rest of that verse and love with faith. You see, he desperately wants the Ephesians to know the love of God that they have and to express that love toward others. Read Ephesians 5, 2 with me again. And walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He wants the Ephesians to know this love, the love of Christ, the love that conquers sin and rebellion, the love that conquered your heart and my heart, the love that walked on this earth to die for our sins. And then knowing that love, being melted by that love, being made new by that love, we are to imitate the Lord Jesus, sacrificing ourselves and laying down our lives to love others first and foremost, to love those in our church and then to extend that love to those outside the church so that they may know the love of God themselves. And this love comes from putting our faith in Christ. That's why it's love with faith. You can only truly love once you have put your faith in Christ and you know the love of Christ yourself. This love doesn't save us. Our faith in Christ is what makes us new by grace. We've been saved through faith. But true faith must produce love. Otherwise, your faith is futile. It's not real. Because those who have faith in Christ demonstrate it by loving other people because Christ lives in you. So friends, as we finish this book on Ephesians, know the love of God and demonstrate the love of God. May he fill you with that love and may you be full of it as you go out. And then finally, 
his final prayer, his final wish that he just wants them to have in abundance is this. Verse 24, the last words of Ephesians. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It's very fitting that Paul would end here with grace. He began with grace, grace and peace. He said that our salvation is to the praise of his glorious grace. He said in Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith. In Ephesians 4.7, he tells us that each, all of our spiritual gifts were given by grace. He even says that our speech is to be accompanied by grace. Everything from start to finish in the Christian life is grace. It's a gift from God that we do not deserve. Grace, 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 sovereign grace. You know, that is the, the, the beginning note and the end note of God's majesty and love is his grace because it's something that he doesn't have to do. God does not have to show mercy to a single sinner. He doesn't have to bless you with a single dollar. He doesn't have to give you anything. He owes you nothing. And yet every blessing that you and I have is grace from God. Saving grace, financial grace, relational grace, persevering grace. All the grace of God has come to us through Christ Jesus. And so Paul ends by saying, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. My final question as we finish this book, finish this letter, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that is how you receive grace. To be a Christian is to bend the knee and pledge allegiance to King Jesus. To be a Christian is to turn from loving the things of this world to loving the creator of the things of this world. To be a Christian is not just to follow Jesus, but to love him. To demonstrate that love by your affection, by your sacrifice, by your devotion. So friends, do you love him? And if you do, know that it's only by his grace that he turned your heart toward him, that he called your name and pulled you into the family of God. Do you love the Lord Jesus? And if you don't, or if you feel it languishing, or if you feel a bit faint-hearted in it, it's like, oh, I used to. I'm not sure I do anymore. Come back. Repent of your lack of love because you're commanded to love him. So if you don't love him, repent of your lack of love and ask him to fill you with the knowledge of his love, like in Ephesians chapter 3, and receive peace and grace, grace and peace. So as we finish this book, as we finish this letter, we see these final instructions that ministry is relational and it's a team. It's not just Jesus and me, it's the people of God working together globally for the glory of Jesus Christ, that all things would be united in Jesus Christ. 
from all nations, all peoples, all time, all socioeconomic. And now we, as a little church in Southern Grace Parramatta, are a part of that story. You and I are a part of the unification of all things in heaven and earth because we are teamed up with Jesus and we're teamed up with one another, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel. And he desires that they would have love and peace and grace in abundance. That what was planned in eternity would be displayed in community. It's a beautiful, incredible letter. And so let us work together as a team, as a church, to live out these truths, to adorn the gospel and the blessing that we've received with changed lives, with changed communities, with a changed Parramatta, or wherever we live, wherever we do work, where we do it all to the praise of his glorious grace. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us to live out these words, that we would be doers of the word, not mere hearers only. We thank you for this letter. We thank you that in it we have seen marvellous things far above our pay grade, uh, that we have been taken into the heavenly realms to know that we are seated with your son right now, that we have every spiritual blessing, that we have peace with you, that you love us, that we have grace in abundance from you. And so, Lord, would you keep our minds in the heavenlies, but our bodies in the earthly realm where we put flesh on these words and make them happen. God, we can't do it. There's no way we can change our family and our work and our life and our lusts and our pride and our um, you know, prejudice. We can't change it, God. We need you. So, Lord, we lead into you and ask that you would change us from the inside out. Help us to walk in love as your son loved us. And may we do it all, not for our name, not to puff our chest, but for the name and praise of Jesus Christ. Amen.